Psalm 90. As we mentioned last week, we ended book three of the Psalms. So we come to book four, Psalm 90, verse uh, through Psalm 106. Psalm 90 says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sheep, uh, like a sleep. In the morning, they are like grass which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. In the evening, it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities, we have, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. It's a well-known psalm. Several verses in there that we quote often. Several verses that are well-known. It's also, interestingly, the oldest of all the psalms in the Psalter. It says there at the beginning, a psalm of Moses, the man of God. A psalm of Moses. Many think that this is a psalm penned by Moses um, at Kadesh Barnea, Numbers 13 to 14, as the children of Israel refuse to enter the land and they are then cursed to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. That very well could be. But it is a psalm, a prayer, actually, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. As you work your way through this psalm, there's really three clear breaks. In the first six verses, you see the eternality of God and the brevity of human life. It's a comparison. You have, you have God who is eternal and human life that is so short. Secondly, in verses 7 to 11, you have the wrath of God. And next to it, the sinfulness of man. And finally, in the end, uh, verses 12 to 17, you have a call then to live in light of both of those facts. In the fact that God is eternal and that God is a God of wrath, that he's a just God. Live in light of that. Starts out in verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. At first that might catch you, if you're like me reading it, it kind of catches you kind of odd. You expect to say, Lord, you're our, you're our rock, 
You're our foundation. You're our hope. These are all things that, that we get. That makes sense. I'm building my life on God. He's a rock. He's a foundation. But you have been our dwelling place in all generations. It almost just sounds kind of weird. I, you have been our dwelling place. But you have to think about the context. Who is it that is writing this? It is Moses. Much of his life was spent wandering around a wilderness homeless. And what a comfort to a homeless people that God is their dwelling place. In fact, Warren Wearsby notes that in Numbers, 30, Numbers 33 names 42 different places that Israel camped during their journey. But no matter where Moses lived, God was always his home. He lived in the Lord. He knew how to abide in the Lord and find strength, comfort, encouragement, and help for each day's demands. This is very similar to the phrase that we use more in the New Testament, abide in Christ. That's the same idea here. It is God. That is where we abide. Again, what a comfort for homeless people, a people who are wandering in the desert. Even as we'll see later in the psalm, those who have faced God's judgment, they don't have a home, nowhere to settle for sure. But God is their dwelling place. Before the mountains were brought forth, where even you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So here in the end of verse 1 into verse 2, he's, laying, he's putting forth this idea that God is eternal. He is great. He is faithful. You have been our dwelling place. When? In all generations. One generation passes away, the next comes. And then that one passes away, and another comes, and another comes, and another comes, and another comes. And all along the way, what stays the same? It is God. It is God where they dwell. In fact, he goes all the way back before all the generations, before even the mountains were brought forth. The mountains, these, these solid things that do not move. As the centuries pass, as floods come up, as storms come down, the mountains stand steadfast. And yet before they were brought forth, in fact, not only before the mountains were brought forth, but even before God himself had formed the earth and the world. Not only is God before the mountains, he's the creator of those mountains. He is the one who formed them, who brought them up. In fact, not just before that, not just before and through all these generations, not just before the mountains, not just before the creation of the earth, but from everlasting to everlasting. From forever to forever. You are God. He doesn't change. He has never changed. And he never will change. You have always been as you are. This is who Moses' God is. Again, what a, what a comfort to meditate on that a man who's leading a people who so often change their minds. We should go back to Egypt. No, we're fine. We should do this. No, we should do that. This, no that. No this, no that. It had to be exhausting. And yet his God never changes. From everlasting to everlasting, you're God. Verse 3, you turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men. This is a reference uh, going all the way back to Genesis 3.19, it's really referencing here, uh, again, the brevity of human life. 
You turn man to destruction. The idea there is to, to crushed matter. And when you put it with what goes on there and say, return, O children of men, really it ties back to Genesis 3.19, from dust you are and to dust you shall return. I mean, note the, the sharp contrast between the brevity of human life and the eternality of God. God is, is the same from generation to generation. In fact, not only from generation to generation, but from before the mountains. In fact, not only from before the mountains, but he's the creator of the mountains. And from before even that. In fact, not only before that, but from everlasting to everlasting. And as eternal as God is, and as great as he is, man is here seen as so brittle. His life is so short. From dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Say, return, O children of men. Again here, he goes back to the idea of God's eternality. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past. A thousand years to us is a long time. It's a very long time. Yet to God, it's like, it's like yesterday. Yesterday. Not, not like those memories from your childhood where, where you kind of remember them, but they're a little bit fuzzy. But yesterday, they're vivid memories, at least for most of us. They're vivid memories. Maybe some of you tomorrow's kind of, yesterday's kind of fuzzy. <laughs> they're vivid memories. He remembers, you know, you think of yesterday, you, you can think about specific in, instances. You can think about how you felt in those instances. You can picture them perfectly in your mind. It was, it was yesterday. In fact, that's a phrase we use, like yesterday. That's a thousand years to God. He remembers it sharply, vividly, forgetting nothing. In fact, not only that, they're like a watch in the night. A watch in the night, that's a four-hour shift. If you can't remember four hours ago, then you've got bigger problem. <laughs> that's what it's like to God. <laughs> that, we, time for us is so long, it drags on, it seems forever. For God, it's like that. Verse 5, you carry them away like a flood. The they here in verses 5, the they and the them, it's it, men. Man who is this crushed matter, who is destruction. From dust you are, to dust you shall return. God carries them away like a flood. The idea here is completely at God's mercy. Think of a flood, these, these waters just coming through. And anything that's in the path of that flood, it has no choice. It just it goes along with it. It is covered. It is overtaken. It is at the mercy, completely at the mercy of that flood. Man is at the complete mercy of God. They are like asleep. Again, man here. So unaware of the brevity of life. It's as if we are sleepwalking through life, oblivious to eternity, oblivious to God's wrath, oblivious to everything around us. We're just going through in a sleep. I don't know if you've ever been around someone who's, who's a sleepwalker. I had a friend who was a sleepwalker, and uh, he could just get up and he'd wander around. It was the oddest thing. He had no idea what he was doing. And that's the picture here. That's, that's how we go through life. We're sleepwalking, just mindlessly moving through life with no awareness of eternity that looms ahead of us. 
no awareness of the wrath of God. In the morning, they are like grass which grows up. Again, this is the brevity of men's life. They are like grass which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up, and yet in the evening, it is cut down and it withers. How little thought we give to grass. How short-lived is its life. We think that we, you know, our, our lives are so much longer. But from God's perspective, it's no better than that. One day that that grass lives. It grows up and it withers away. And that's it. And so in these first six verses, there's this sharp contrast. The eternality, the greatness and the power of God and the, just the brevity of human life, our weakness. We are at the complete mercy of God. And then you come to verse 7. And it really puts those first six verses into context. And it's really almost kind of scary. Because if that is true, and we are at the complete mercy of God, then verse 7, for we have been consumed by your anger. God's anger against sin is not a simple slap on the hand. It is a consuming fire. In fact, in Deuteronomy 4.24 and Hebrews 12.29, that's exactly what God is called. He is a consuming fire. Our lives are so short. We are so powerless. You are so great. You are so powerful. You are eternal. We are completely at your mercy and we are consumed by your anger. And by your wrath we are terrified. And rightfully so. Again here, many commentators will look at Psalm 90, the, the context of this, and, and they'll place it around that Kadesh Barnea moment. As God brings them to the land, and those spies go in and they come back and they say, yes, it's, it's flowing with milk and honey, but there's giants. We can't take it. They're too strong. You know the story of Caleb and Joshua who say, no, we can, we can do it. Let's go right away. And yet the nation says no. And Caleb and Joshua, they, they tear their clothes. Where is their faith in this God? And God burns in his wrath against them. In fact, it's in Numbers 13 and 14. You don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll, I just want to read a passage from it. Uh, you're welcome to turn there if you want, but. Uh, Romans 13 and 14. I want to read specifically verses 14, or chapter 14, verses 17 to 19. At this point, God is, he is ready to just wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And Moses is pleading with him, and he says, God, think of your testimony among the nations. Think of Egypt, who, who's seen your power. Think of the Canaanites, who will see you do this. Think of your glory. And uh, God responds, verses 17 to 19. Um, or we'll start in verse 15, actually. Now if you kill these people as one man, 
Then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them. Therefore he killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and the fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people. I pray according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all of these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of them uh, who rejected me see it. I mean, you can just, the, the wrath of God burning against this people. And rightfully so. It is not that God's wrath is undeserved or out of control. At the zoo this last week, not this last week, yesterday, uh, we were at the zoo, and uh, we had gotten a stroller for Ted, because he's just still at that age where his little legs get tired, and so he would walk for a little bit, and then he'd get in it, and you know, by the end of the day, you have the twins who are complaining, I'm tired, let me have a turn. So we're on our way out, and Judah gets in, and he's riding, and he keeps putting his foot down. And Krista says, Judah, keep your foot in. If you put your foot down, it's going to get run over. And so he starts putting his hand down and running his hand against the concrete. As well. And Chris, Judah, don't put anything out of the cart. Keep it in. And we get going, and I'm pushing, and eventually I feel this little, boom. I was like, what is that? And then Judah starts crying. He had stuck his finger down, and the cart rolled right over it. And it was bleeding, and he was freaking out. And we get going, we get in the car, and we're talking about it. You know, why did this happen? He's like, because the car did it. No, whose fault is this? It's my fault. I disobeyed. It's not the cart's fault. It's not daddy's fault. It's your fault. We told you not to do that. You knew the consequences, and you chose to do it. God's wrath against these people, God is not at fault. God would have been just to wipe them off the face of the earth. It is their fault. They are sinners. And they are terrified of God's wrath, and rightfully so. Verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you. They are out in the open. You you can't hide them from God. In fact, verse 8 goes on, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. Here in uh, Psalm 90, verse 8. You know our sins, even our secret sins. God knows them. He knows every time that they grumbled in that wilderness. Every time that they lusted after or longed after to go back to Egypt. God knows. Brothers and sisters, the same is still true today. God is the same everlasting to everlasting. He knows the thoughts of your heart. He knows those those thoughts of hatred, those thoughts of lust. He knows all those little things that you think no one else, God, sees. And his wrath burns against sin. It is not just a slap on the wrist. He is a consuming fire. 
I think so often we overemphasize it. If you can overemphasize, I guess, God's grace, you can't. But we focus so much on that that we overlook God's justice and God's wrath against sin. And so then we think that sin's not that big of a deal because God is so gracious. And yet what does Paul say in Romans? If this is true, if God's grace is so good, should we keep on sinning then? God forbid! No! Yes, rejoice in the grace and the mercy of God and see that, but also see his justice and his wrath and his holiness. And live in light of that. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. Again here, in light of the the wrath of God, the brevity of man's life is brought up again. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years. Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. Then you come to verse 12 to the end. And here really you have, in light of this, everything that you've seen in these first several verses, the eternality of God and the brevity of man, the wrath of God and the sinfulness of man, in light of all of this then, so teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days. To live day by day, not year by year. To live in the light of eternity. Consciousness, conscious of God's wrath against sin. Teach us to number our days. Why? That we may gain a heart of wisdom that we may gain a heart of wisdom. As you number your days, as you live in light of eternity, as you live in light of God's justice, and then in light of that, as you fear the Lord, what does Proverbs 9.10 tell us? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We gain a heart of wisdom as we live in light of eternity and of the wrath of God. As you see the brevity, how short life is, how powerless we are, and how great God is. As you see that, and as you order your life according to that, that is the beginning of wisdom. That's how you gain a heart of wisdom. I think we tend in our day to move away from fire and brimstone preaching. In fact, that's kind of a, a, you know, a push. If someone who does that, they're kind of looked down on. Preach about the grace of God. And yes, that is true. But here, in this prayer, Moses isn't stressing the grace of God. What's he stressing? How great God is and how powerless man is. The justice of God, the wrath of God, and the sinfulness of man. And it's in light of those two things then that you order your life, that you number your days. He doesn't ignore the mercy of God. In fact, he goes on, return, O Lord, how long? Have compassion on your servants. The idea here is is turn back toward us in mercy. 
We've talked about all throughout the Psalms how the idea of God's favor upon you, he is looking at you, he's facing you, and his favor is not towards you. And when, uh, when you sinned against him, he, he is turned away from you, his back is towards you. That's a picture all throughout the Psalms. And here the picture is God turn back around and look at us. Turn back toward us in mercy. Have compassion on us. In fact, note here in verse 13, despite the heavy nature of this psalm, how, how small we are, how powerless we are, how sinful we are, there's hope as Moses brings us to an end. He doesn't go off and just pout. There's hope. Satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. With forgiveness obtained and fellowship restored, joy returns as he is satisfied in the Lord. He is satisfied in the Lord. Turn towards us early with mercy. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Really the prayer here is that the days of joy would equal the days of judgment. Right? Life is hard. We've been under God's judgment, and yet let it all be for good. Let, in the end, we look back and say, God is good. Yes, we went through judgment, but God is good. That's a testimony repeated in the New Testament. Romans 8, 18. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. And ultimately this leads him to verse 28 where he says all things work together for good. To those who know God, who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. 1 Corinthians 4 2 Corinthians actually I believe. Verses 16 to 18, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. We do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. See, this is the hope of the believer. Yes, Life is hard. And yes, God, we will face consequences for our sin in life. As we sin, there are consequences to those sins. And yet, ultimately, in the end, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In the end, the glory is so much better than the suffering in life. And so verse 16, let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. Let the beauty or the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands. Again, note, in light of the recognition at the beginning of this psalm that God is great and God is powerful and God is eternal and we are weak and we are at his mercy, the prayer here is not, take note of us, God, and see what we're doing. But the, note is, the, the, the prayer here is, God, you establish us. You do this. We are at your mercy, and so you establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work 
of our hands. So really, this is a beautiful prayer. And throughout this prayer, Moses leads us. And he puts life in its proper context. He calls us to repentance. He reminds us of the glory of forgiveness and the blessings of fellowship with God. And it really comes back to verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days to live in light of these truths. I was just talking to someone the other day about how the older you get, the quicker life seems to go. The quicker the days go by. I think it's easier to number your days the older you get. You have more days to look back on. You've hopefully learned a little bit through that. Teach us to number our days. Why do we so quickly lose focus? Think back to the beginning of the year. If you're like me, January, you know, that first week of January, I am just, I am on it. I, I'm starting over. It's a new year. You know, if I'm starting a new diet, I'm pretty good at it that first week. If I'm reading through the Bible in a year, I'm, I'm sometimes even ahead during that first week. I'm just, I am on it. Why? Because every day feels important. It's starting out, it's new, it's fresh, it's exciting. And yet we so quickly lose focus. We so quickly, our eyes turn from the importance of each day. And we become lazy, we become comfortable. And Moses here is calling us, don't become comfortable because your life is short you don't have time to waste and so teach us to number our days Lord even as we go to prayer this evening even as we bring our requests to God in light of even the psalm that we've just been reminded of these truths that we've been reminded of here life is short life is short and we are very weak. And yet God is great. He is eternal. From everlasting to everlasting. And so then, may we even model that truth in our prayers. God is great. We are weak. Teach us to number our days. With that in mind,